Well, hello to our new listeners. Thanks for joining. And to our returning guests, welcome back. Welcome to Season 6 of the Morosible Podcast. My name is Mo. In this season, like you've been used to, get ready for more amazing stories, more inspirational stories to help you set your stories free. I created this podcast as a resource for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them to share stories and processes, as well as to build communities around important salient issues that affect all of us as humans. So on this show, you get to hear amazing stories from people like you who show us how to get more out of life. The stories featured here are by people whose journey I am partly inspired by, as well as challenged by, but most importantly, people whose courage and vulnerability have afforded us an opportunity to hear their life stories. And I hope you find them as inspiring. Now enjoy your show. And don't forget to share this episode and the other ones. You sign up the pond. <laughs> and so we get the shortest month in the year, but we're going to make it very loud and long today. And what better way to do this than having a chat with a Nigerian who is passionate about Pan-African relationships and also has made her life work to close the social distance between us and our cousins. And these are the Blacks that are living here in the U.S. So today with me, I have the privilege of talking to a dynamic woman. I mean, she's loaded, guys. So let me just read all of her bio. It's going to take about 20 minutes. Just kidding. But it's quite long. But let's do it. She is a Nigerian immigrant of Yoruba ethnic diversity. And as a typical story of immigrants in America, she migrated to the U.S for greener pastures in the early 80s. Since moving to the U.S., she completed her master's degree and is a proud mom of two adult children. And there's so love on her. If you follow her on Instagram, you know what I'm saying. She's super active. She's a blogger. She has written many issues. And she focuses on, on, on the life of African immigrants. About six years ago, she launched the Pansa Pansa Forum to start a conversation about first and second generations of African immigrant children growing up in American society. As you may know, or many of you might know, the African community is often divided along the lines of countries of origin, religion, and ethnic background. And her vision for that forum is to include African um, children from various ethnic backgrounds in this narrative. Now, her, she also strives to create an open platform for these children to express their challenges because, you know, they're neither here nor there. They're not American enough. They're neither African enough. And she tries to balance those two worlds of having, you know, the American identity and also maintaining their African heritage. And perhaps some of you listening to this may have children who might belong in those categories. How do you parent them through? How do you make them proud Blacks? And while also, you know, honoring both, you know, um, heritage that they have. Now, um, in today's episode, we'll be talking about, you know, just, you know, her life moving to the U.S., thriving here, how to maintain the relationships between Africans and African-Americans, and also um, contributing relatively to the motherland. Everyone, please join me in welcoming the wonderful, the super talented, the super active, and definitely wonderful. I've said that twice because it's, it's twice as good. Um, Mrs. Kerry Stariki of the Panther Panther Forum. Hello, Ma. Hello, thank you so much for having me here. You know, you're so generous, <laughs> you know, with your introduction. Thank um, you so much for having I'm, me. I'm so honored to have you. And I think it will it would be nice to kind of talk about how we met. So shout out to Nancy Malenwa of the Concrete Pastures podcast. 
I think you had featured on her podcast and you got to know about my podcast. I should just say that she emailed me and for one reason or the other, I was sometime in December, it kind of fell into that moment where you're not checking emails because you're battling other fires. And then she sent another message, hey, I'm trying to reach out to you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, ma'am. But I want to just thank you for your tenacity and not giving up on me. And, you know, for ever making this happen, it's been, you know, such a lovely time talking to you outside of the show. And I cannot wait for the listeners and even those that would end up watching this um, recorded version of this of this show to get to know more about you. Thank you. <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. Um, I definitely know you of Yoruba ethnicity. What does it mean to be, um, I guess, how did you grow up and where did you grow up? Well, I grew up, I was born in Lagos and I grew up in Lagos. And... Uh... <laughs> You know how they say Lagos is a no man's land? Yes, it's a no man's land. So that's why I'm so used to New York. <laughs> you oh. know, when you come from New York, no man's land. So I was I was born and raised in Lagos and I uh, lived with my parents uh, during the formative years, you know, then later on, you know, when I was growing up, that was during the time when many parents believed that your children have to go and live with a teacher. Oh, yeah. I thought, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. In terms of understanding discipline. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So, uh, you know, what you have to... Thinking? What were we thinking then? <laughs> well, you know, they think they have the whole package of actually discipline as well as educational, you know, to prepare you for your educational life, achievement yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for life in terms of, you know, they don't have to pay extra teacher, you know, pay for teachers to... So for know, the price of one uh-huh. I had to tutor you in so many things that yeah. you needed yeah. in school. So that was what they believe at that time. So I lived a little bit in Suriliri from there, you know, moved to Festac. When, yeah. uh, when, yes, when it's Festac 77. Wow. After it was actually launched, after Festac 77, that people were putting in application to get the apartments. I mean, that place was, I mean, you know, <laughs> well kept, you know. Uh, know. That's, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so I don't know how it is. Uh, oh, right no, here. you don't want to so, know. So I lived there for some time. Then it was later on that after uh, finishing my high school, I actually went to government college, Jojo. Oh, nice. uh, those are when those schools uh, or government college colleges in different states as well as oh, federal no, government no. colleges you know yeah. that have so much diversity of students from different backgrounds i went to as one well, i went to I, your... oh you went to your okay yeah, uh, yeah. the federal government college also at that time you actually have so many other um, people from different countries who are actually part of the students in those um, uh, atmosphere, the environment. So I went to the, the uh, government college of Jordan. After that, I came to America. And since then, I've been here since then. You know, wow. So, wow. <laughs> so you've been here since the 80s. And I think before the show started, right, we talked about just New York. Why did you move to the U.S.? I, I imagine that for, let me just assume that, like, similarly with most immigrants coming here, was seeking greener pastures, but I, in the 80s, Nigeria economy was way more robust than it is now. So, mm-hmm. for people like you, then in your cohort, what was the push towards the side of the world? Well, you know, it was something that um, at that time people were actually coming to abroad at that time just to go to school to acquire the education. 
Because if you get the opportunity to say that you're coming abroad is something that you said, okay, let me go and just get my degree, whatever it is, or I want to learn trade that is completely different from what they have in Nigeria, you could come back and establish something. So at that time, it was actually my uncle who uh, proposed the idea to my mom because he was bringing his own children at that time. Mm. So he said uh, if my mom wants, he could also take me along. And it was really a, a, a raw disagreement between my mom and my dad because coming to abroad without a husband was something that it wasn't something that was practiced at that time. My wow. father said, I'm not going to allow my daughter to go in uh, to America. That, you know, she just graduated from high school. She's not married. It's not as if she's going to go and meet a husband there. You know, he heard of many women going by themselves at that time that they might end up becoming a prostitute and all that stuff. So my mom didn't relent. And she said, no, she she has to go. And so that's how I came. You know, (laughs) so coming at that time, you know, we Nigerians, everybody have their own cluster of uh, uh, countries that your community, you have the Nigerians, you have the Ghanaians, you have the Ethiopians, you know, so most of the people who are actually from Nigeria, mostly Yoruba and Igbo. Or you see some Edo people. Uh, people, Edo people yeah. I, I only met one Ausa man, and he wasn't even in school. He was just here to uh, learn some trade and go back home. So, wow. and that time, when, the moment you come in, people will ask you, have you done your GED? You know, because, you know, to process the paperwork in, in terms of your high school paperwork in Nigeria was so, you know, extensive, you know, uh, uh, process you have to go through. So people will then ask you, have you taken your GED? Need to register for school. So they, they, we help each other at that time. And at that time, you know who is who. You know who have green card, who doesn't have green card. Because <laughs> way back in the 80s, I imagine that the relative strength of the Naira to the dollar was stronger. Was no, this- when I came here, Naira, two Naira, one dollar was equal to 50 Kobo. So two naira, one naira, we give you two dollars. So naira, what the heck? Naira was much more powerful. If you take Nigerian passports to the bank, that's good enough for your identification. They actually respect you and say, "What do you want?" Whoa. Nigerian Nigerians were highly respected. At, at that time, we're not even thinking of going to stay back. Yeah. We're not saying back because everybody was easy that you are in medicine or accounting, banking, or you are in uh, engineering. Those are the field that you think, you know, when you get back home, you know, you're going to be able to achieve something. Or some people actually go for, you know, uh, fashion design, you know, uh, catering and all that stuff, you know. So that was what most people were doing at that time. So wow. by the time that I finished uh, college and after I even finished my undergraduate, I did banking and finance. I actually, I actually went to AIB, American Institute of, Institute of Banking, with the hope that when I get to Nigeria, I'll be able to have a good job, you know, wow. working wow. in a bank and with a finance degree at the, at the back. And, uh, you know, by the time I finished, things were going down. 
I see that the dollars was rising through the structural adjustment program that you know was uh, implemented through this giant of a uh, war bank at that time so those are the issues you wow. know so wow. people who were ahead of me that they went back home they were all coming back and wow. people were coming back and saying wow. that things are changing so <laughs> let, let, let's just pause for a minute here I mean, I grew up in the 80s, but towards the later 80s, and so even my consciousness about the economy was, as at that time, was almost non-existent. But of course, the older I got, and the more I started learning more about history and you know, economic development, I've heard those kind of tales about, you know, how one time the dollar was, you know, nothing compared to naira, and how even staying abroad was not even heard of. You know, even like your plane ticket, you know, it was just not even like a big deal. You know, people were good. Um, so I guess this follow-up question is more like, what are some things from those days that you really, really miss? Because I see that you, I imagine that you've seen almost like a, you know, different timelines. And mm-hmm. if you could weave those stories together, you could always tell, this is, you know, the watershed moment. This is the underwater moment. If you could just draw one, two time points between then and now, what are some stark differences between then and now, or things that you miss the most about being in Nigeria here? And maybe things that you long for now, things that you mourn, or the biggest losses as a Nigerian in the American, in, 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 in the diaspora. If you're talking about the experience here, uh, when I initially came here, I, I missed the connection of the Nigerians at that time, of how close we were together, of the, the sense of the community that we had with each other at that time, looking out for each other. You know, mm. making sure everybody is okay. Mm. You know, and uh, it wasn't as if this one have more than the other. Mm. Everybody, no matter what you know, your educational level, no matter what class you are, everybody just pulled together because we feel like okay, we're here, we're going back home, mm. and mm. Uh, no matter what, we need to pull together here to. Continue to connect, you know, with each other. And then, you know, we're going back home. But as everything become the issue of the idea that we are now staying here, a lot of things that uh, were foreign to us, like the issue of race, become something that we have, you know, we have to actually dig into to find out what does it mean to be black in America? Because I, when we were here as a student in the 80s, in the early 80s, which the most important thing is to get our education and go back home. But then when you start interacting with the general public of the society, looking for the job in your field, mm-hmm. then you see the whole um, issue that is actually going on in America. And being that as an immigrant, you only have immigrant experience. That's you, do not have, you don't have black experience because black experience is historical. Black African-American already understand 
the issue of race in this country. <laughs> how, to navigate, uh-huh, how to navigate through that system, what to yeah. do, how to, yeah. you know. <laughs> so as an immigrant, even in the early days, when somebody says something racist to you, sometimes you may not even know that it's I racist. I think it's just being rude. You know, it takes yeah, a while. Yeah, it's just being rude. rude you are or something like that. Friend is looking at you like, that was them being racist. Like, was it? Yeah. Was it? I wake up at uh-huh. night, was it? <laughs> so you you kind of look at it and or, or just overlook it and say you know what I, I this is not my country anyway yeah, I'm going yeah. back to where I came from yeah, yeah. so that aspect of uh, is uh, is the missing link you know is Let, the missing uh, that that's quite deep thanks for sharing that that that's quite deep let me go tell a little bit on what you said because I mean by virtue of coming here for academic purposes I've been I, I came in a different bubble because that was my mission, you know, coming to get an advanced degree here. And I went to a school that was a bubble within a bubble. So I schooled in Austin, Texas. And if you know the geography of Texas, Austin is not like the rest of Texas. And within that bubble was UC Austin, which felt like another, you know, micro universe, even though it's quite as large. But I tell all of that to say, even in my interactions with other um, communities, because I had a lot of friends with, from different, you know, walks of life and different parts of the world. Um, the Indians had a way of doing things. Um, the Koreans had a way of doing things. And as an outsider looking in, they all seem to be in harmony. And I used to yearn, because, okay, let me give an example. Before I came here, it took me a while to be, to be able to find accommodation. And for the grace of God, I probably have been stranded. But my Indian friends, they all had like a Facebook group where all the Indians coming to Austin, they had, they knew themselves. They already sorted themselves out. There was nothing like for that for Nigerians that I knew of. It's just us recently we started building this kind of communities, right? I shout out to, you know, Joanna, who's, who's here. Um, she's <laughs> probably want to put that side of Facebook group. And I started out to say, perhaps that, um, fraction, factor, factor you saw in the way we related to each other is very reflection of just that loss and also that sense of survival that comes with our status from going from a highly resourced economy to a low resource economy because you're an individual, but your country also tags along with you. Because that respect you said you had in the 80s, I imagine it's not the same anymore. I could take my passport to the American bank. They're going to look at like, what is this? We don't recognize it. Some might, some might not, you know. So could that, could that also be a reflection of, like what we're seeing, how people are keeping to themselves, where we're no longer united here. I mean, when I say here, I mean Nigerians coming together compared mm-hmm. to way back in the 80s. is a reflection of just the state of our economy. And just how people are just trying to survive this day. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you could see it that way uh, that uh, people are trying to survive. But we, no matter what, like you just say, give example of the Indian community, of the new student who just came in and they already have the accommodation. They already help them to navigate through the system and say, okay, you know, if you don't even have uh, a place to stay, you could stay in this uh, in, uh, this place for some time. And the same thing goes for the for, for the Asians as well. You know, I'm talking about uh, from China or Japan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. So they have a very strong community like that. But for us, you know, even though we're struggling, but we need to understand that we have to build that community. And that community is not even only among the Nigerians, because I would say among all the African groups, apart from Nigerians, the Ethiopians, Ghanaians, you know, we came from English-speaking countries. Yeah. And that have a privilege on its own. 
compared to others who didn't come from those backgrounds. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they 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 came from spe- I I hate to define us according to colonial. I know, but it's just it's just what it is. It's a broad categorization. Uh huh. But you know, uh, you have some who came from French-speaking countries. Those who came from uh, Portuguese, Spanish-speaking mm-hmm. countries. That you know, when it comes to the whole idea of um, connection within the, this environment, is much more challenging for them. Yeah. Than we that we came from English-speaking countries. Okay. So how can we build that community as one? Mm, mm, mm. I see that it's it's it above and beyond just Nigerians, but you just you know, Nigeria because nobody looks at you that many um, Americans still believe Africa is a is uh, <laughs> a is a country. One last treat of Kenya. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So sometimes, some, yeah, some don't even know Africa is over one point something billion people on the continent. Nigeria is over two hundred million people in that country alone. So. They don't see any difference. Yeah, yeah. All they see is all of you are Africans. And when you look, at, when you look at the Asians also in this country, they have, or the, even the Latino, they do do not divide themselves. Only when yeah. you go on there among their communities that you see, oh, you yeah. are from Mexico, you are from this, you are from that. But yeah. apart from everybody comes together when it mm-hmm. comes to you know advocating for their need and the rights of their community because they know yeah. they speak with one voice that's true and and i think no better representation of that especially during when that the, the spirit of the asian hate in new york and you know they came out you know in one voice finding ways to like you know build their community up and keep themselves safe so that way they were not going to be um praised yeah. during you know yeah. that, those covid attacks yeah. now um Man, these are like really, really good thoughts. Thanks, thanks for sharing all of the thoughts, man. So you didn't decide to stay, but you ended up staying here. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, how often do you go um, back to Nigeria? Let me just ask that. Not too often. <laughs> Not too often. What's your relationship to Nigeria as a country? I know you're very Pan-African. That's not to get yeah. away from you. And you're probably one of the... Not so many Nigerians that think just beyond Nigeria. But I think Nigerians, I've come to this realization as a Nigerian. I'm very proud. Mm-hmm. You know, I have these Africans, my, my supervisor in grad school, she's, you know, African American, black. Um, she calls me that I have this African superiority, which, you know, we always laughed about, but I was always proud about it, you know. And, but in that pride, I try not to be ignorant, you know, cause I, but I know that some of us, we tend to think of Nigeria as just, there's Nigeria and every, everything else in Africa is others, right? Mm-hmm. But you're probably one of the many, uh, not so many Nigerians that you you think about just even relationship to other Africans and other Blacks, right? But let's start with Nigeria for now because we're both Nigerians. What's your relationship mm-hmm. with the country as a way right now? How do well, you, you know, to Nigeria? Well, I'm very, I'm a very proud Nigerian. Not only Nigeria, I'm a very proud Yoruba woman. Okay, that pride is in me. And to me, one thing that I find out is that anywhere you go, you carry your culture with you, mm. no matter where you are. I don't go to Nigeria too often because, first of all, um, my both of my parents already passed. You know, I have other extended family over there. We talk from time to time, you know, those who, who you could connect with. 
And uh, because also as a single parent <laughs> raising children in this country, to buy a ticket to go to Nigeria when my mm-hmm. children were growing up is, you know, you're talking about spending about 5000 and over. Yeah, yeah. You know, to yeah. travel to Nigeria on one trip. So it wasn't something that... And that's just um, the trip, because you have to buy... Buy, yeah. yeah. So everybody. For, yeah. <laughs> For me, I, because one thing, I'm a very realistic person who I'm not going to tell myself a lie when I know I cannot afford something I cannot afford. And what is much more, what was much more important to me, where I want to spend money on, you know. So for me, um, anywhere you go, you carry your culture along with you. Mm-hmm. I'm a Nigerian at art. I'm a Nigerian advocating for other Nigerians. I'm a Nigerian advocating for other Africans, you know, and talking about pulling everybody together. Because one another thing that I see in many of us when we still focus um, on the idea that I need to I need to go home every every year or I need to do all these things in order for me to say I'm connected with that place. And then living as a visitor Mm. or in the country that we're in, it actually pulls us away from being involved in so many, you know, conversations, so many issues that is going on because Mm. we still have it at the back of our head that this is not, I'm just a visitor in this place, Mm. even after living 20, 30 years. Some things still think that they're going back home to retire back in Nigeria or their different respective African countries. But how how actually visible is that? Maybe it's just our way of just, because I won't like to you. When I came here, I wanted to go back. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go back. I had an exit plan, but my mm-hmm. husband never wanted to go back. Like, like when I mean go back, like finally we settled back home, right? That's what I mean by going back. Mm-hmm. And every year I visit home, that dream just kept becoming more of a mirage like it's, I don't think it's ever going to happen from, from, for the life I live here and just the comfort and the ease of getting things done and just the possibility to do more things and the way the country just keeps Nigeria as a whole keeps moving away from the hope that I have so there's a grief in my heart that it might never be possible so perhaps for those that are still thinking of going back home to there perhaps they are way of just holding on to something like Almost like this last vestige of hope. I don't want to let go of this identity. Because if I give up hope of never going back home, then I'm going to be just an American, you know? Or maybe something to that effect. Maybe it's not feasible, but it still doesn't stop us from dreaming of a time where we can find a home to go back to. Because I feel like no matter how many years I spent here, I never feel comfortable here in the US now. Mm-hmm. How's that been for you? Do you really feel comfortable here? Like, is this here for you? It's, uh, it depends because as human beings, we're all connected with each other. And one thing that I um, realize is that you have to diversify your social circle. You, when we're talking about uh, uh, in Nigeria, when I first came to this country, in order to call Nigeria, you have to make sure that you save about $50 to be able to talk for 30 minutes. 
now social media has made that possible that you don't even need to spend a dime to call anywhere in the world you could call through your whatsapp you could you know connect through different you know social media um forum that you are connected with you constantly connected with people back home for me anywhere that you are it could be a home and i'm not limiting myself to only people of my country or somebody who you know or the uh, only yoruba community i'm also including other people from different race different cultural ethnic background like you you know i really admire i've never seen any nigerian who is you know uh, learning uh, korean language yeah, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. i'm so proud of it so that is the connection that i will advocate okay because like i said anywhere that you are you you able to make a living Yeah. You living comfortably? Your safety is not being challenged. Yeah. Okay? You able to go to work, get paid on time? Yeah. You feel safe. That place is also a home. It is. And your culture is what you carry within you. Mm-hmm. And share with others. When I talk to uh uh, um, uh many people that have uh, my friends from the Latino community I could connect in their culture with my culture as well. Yeah, yeah. They are also part of African heritage. Mhm. Sure. When you connect with other people from Asia from even you know many European countries there's a connection right there. You mm-hmm. find family along the way maybe they are not blood related but they related to you by the common interest yeah. maybe through your work or through any other things that connect you it might be through music <laughs> you like certain kind of music that you know you integrate into that community those are also another form of family That's very true man. That that's very true. I I agree with you. And I think that on an individual level, yes, your culture is what you carry with you. Mm-hmm. But maybe for me and maybe for others like me who still find it very hard to harmonize those two parts, it's because we still have so many vested interests back home. By vested interests, I still have family members back home. Mm-hmm. And every now and then when bad things happen like we had a loss in the family not so long ago, it just you back to reality. And you realize that even with technology graphing in a communal setting is quite limited you know mm-hmm. when you think about the hardships of people back home when you anytime you visit and you just want a time where you want to gather all of the precious ones together and just be on that safe whatever safety means and so maybe it's just the connection i feel the direct connection and the fact that every time i'll see a news call from anybody back home i get worried like what's going on is there something bad going on But you know, wherever we are, we can make life happen, right? Mm-hmm. And I pray that there'll be a time where we won't feel like we're stuck in a place and try to force life happening for us. But a lot of us can have that fluidity because I imagine that for so many Nigerians, even Africans abroad, they can't even go home, even if they wanted to. 
for so many reasons, you know, immigration status or, you know, or just so many things. And, and that's just my fear. That's my hope that someday we would have that fluidity. Wherever you want to make home for yourself, you're not being forced to stay or forced to leave. You find that, you know, home for you. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead, ma'am. Go ahead, ma'am. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, what you say is just so important. Anywhere you are, you know, you, we're all worried about what is going on in Nigeria. Worried about a family member if somebody passed away, and also we have to think about our own life here. Imagine if you're parents, you know, you you worrying about the people back home. How can I send money? Of course, you know, <laughs> to make ends meet. Uh, many of us who are in foreign countries are the ma- major uh, supplier of income for so many people back home. Oh, yeah. yeah. We contribute it, to the economy. Uh, to, uh, to help boost the economy. Yeah. But then you also have to think about your welfare here, mm, mm, especially mm. when you're raising children. Uh, mommy, this table you're on. We need to come back and bring you to talk about black tax. This table <laughs> you're <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this table we are taking, we don't have the time. We need to bring you back to we'll talk about. No, black I tax. just want to make a point. I want to make a point because we're sending money home yes. regularly, but there's also the impact of um, that has with a lot of us here. Imagine um, many of us who wants to build a house back in Nigeria or in different part of Africa. And then uh, we work in two, three jobs and we have children in this country. But in America, it takes much more when you are raising your children that you have to be available. Mm. Mm. So if I have to work two, three jobs to be able to pay for whatever material wealth that I'm, go- I'm trying to build back home, what time do I have? Yeah, with my yeah, yeah, yeah. Or thinking about buying tickets regularly to yeah. go back home. And with that house built, <laughs> how uh, many houses have, how many have people have donated money back or sent money back home to build the house? 20 years that they go back, there's no house, there's not even a foundation. No, so, some actually have the, I'm so surprised that some who have a house that they said they cannot even stay in that house when they go home, they go and stay in a hotel. Why? Because they don't feel safe. Wow. Uh, they rather stay in a hotel. Or That's stay- very sad. That's a very like, sad you know, story. So, right yeah, yeah. That's a very sad story right there. Yeah. Security <laughs> reasons, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we're going to move on talking about our relationship with African-Americans, but I want us to take a pause right now to acknowledge our listeners in the studio. Joanna, Omomi, Afalabi, um, my... My mother in New York. I have a mom in New York. This is Alasha Kong. Hello. And OS. I don't know who OS is, but thank you so much for joining. Now, um, let's move on to our relationships. And please, um, for our uh, listeners, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. We'll prioritize your questions over my questions because you are, you know, very important to us. And thank you for joining. Now, let's talk about this social distance. And I didn't mean to, you know, sound frivolous when I did this. Our social distance between Africans and African Americans, right? For a very long time, especially during the um, 20th century, during the Jim Crow era, um, African-Americans were encouraged to actually shun the idea of connection to Africa, right? To think poorly of Africa, even the images, you know. I had somebody on the show, I'm here to this episode. She grew up, um, she's 60 now. She said she was exposed to National Geographic and the images of Africa was, you know, that classic one of the fly, you know, following the little child about 
with the Portuguese stomach, right? So African Americans are encouraged to show the idea of a connection to Africa, you know, to celebrate the trick in themselves, you know, which also distanced them, you know, um, from Africa. So they were supposed to be more cultured, you know, more white, more civilized, and therefore to look at Africanness, you know, as a matter of shame or something that needed to be avoided like a plague. And so, but I, uh, and I read it somewhere, um, and I forget, I forget, I forget where I read it, who said this, but they said something around the lines of the African Americans, they've been subjected to what you call denaturing, where, you know, um, they were forced into that period of slavery and in the, um, pro slavery era, you know, put Africa behind you, erase all of the memories of Africans. And as a result, you find that many black Americans, they remain very skeptical of, you know, the potency or even the relevance of a paradigm that, um, almost like situates their identity outside of America. Because like you were talking about cities, when, when they even think about Africa as a motherland or where they are from, wherever their genetic blueprint is from, they have no connection to it. Because to them, it's like this strange land. And you see that expressed. Either in, uh, and I think it goes both ways. Don't get me wrong. I think we as Africans, we have a lot we need to work on in ourselves. So when it comes to relating to African Americans, right? So we can look at those both sides of the coin. And I imagine that a, a trickle down effect of that is what we see in other countries, like the xenophobia going on in South Africa, for example. How do we view this bridge, man? And how has it been like for you? Especially growing up in the 80s and even moving to the US, we've probably seen different, you know, um, ways and different movements come and go. How have we been able to thrive in a place like New York, which I think is a hotspot of culture in the world? It's, it's you know, it's, it's, a, it's a paradigm right there. So I'd like to hear thoughts on that. Well, you know, our relationship with African-Americans has, is, um, like you said, the impact of the history have a lot to do with it. Because we, the, and I want to also bring you to, <laughs> anytime we talk about the relationship with African-American, we don't talk about relationship with other Africans. The Caribbeans. Oh, ah. Okay, who felt like they are left out? of the conversation as if they don't even, they have no connection with Africa. You have a conversation with people from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Africans in Brazil who felt they are disconnected, that they are not part of this conversation, conversation. Mm-hmm. in this country. Because when you go back through the history of um, um, civil rights movement, there's so many... African, I mean, so many uh, children of immigrants from the Caribbean who also participated in yes, civil rights. Yes, 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 yes. And at that time, too, you have some Africans who also migrated in the 50s who also participated in the civil rights movement. If you don't know Babatun de Olatunji, the famous drummer, yeah, with yes, those yes. Who, uh-huh, who participated. And, you know, there were so many like that. So, um, the image that was shown in the beginning, and I'm also going to talk about South American as well. Those from the uh, South American from, you know, uh, 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 different countries in South America, like Puerto Ricans, uh, Dominicans, Dominicans yeah. and all these other people, they're also part of African history. People of African descent. So we have to also talk about those groups as well. So we don't focus only on African Americans. Okay. So the impact of what the European has done, they did their own work very well. Okay. Oh. In 
divide, divide and conquer is like having a household having a household take the most um able body of that household member and put some of them in america the europe you know uh possible the ahead in in the caribbean and all these other places and then continue to control and divide africa still dead and another thing that i do i do storytelling traditional mm. yoruba storytelling mm. and before i do the storytelling i have the map of africa before colonization map of africa during colonization which european uh, countries went to fear okay and then where where we are now how divided those countries are so imagine those history from the beginning and how european in in themselves have impact in kinds of education that is being poured down our heads all over the world so a lot of all these division has taken place where it is so much that we have to work on when uh, initially for me like i said before bringing the conversation down to individual um when we i first came in here i didn't know what it is to be black in america mm. because i don't have black experience in this country i only have immigrant experience immigrant experience is your culture your language and everything that you brought mm. in mm-hmm. and the idea that you, I, i'm just here to do what i have to do and keep moving until you know when you start you know integrating into the society integrating into the community and then you find out that you're actually black you know there's a, 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 a you know yeah when i held the community conversation the other time i was asking people when do you on this when do you know that you're actually you're black, black. <laughs> when did you become black in america so for me the relationship with Af- within people of african descent is touch and go sometimes there's some who will accept you and there's some who will not accept you i've tried as much as possible many of us who have the opportunity to go to college we might have taken classes in black studies that if you if it, 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 which is not compulsory is a part of um is not a compulsory uh, class for you to take okay is optional if you have to take any class in black studies so apart from me taking classes when i was doing my undergraduate in black studies i even went as far as educating myself mm. about the life of black people in this country about mm. the life of people of color in this country what was their experience like what is it that they still continue to struggle with and how can i navigate through that system mm. so from the beginning i have a relationship with uh, many african americans who are friends many people from the caribbean who are my friends many people from latin america who are my friends so i have you know pocket of people from different places and we able to share a commonality in terms of we are people of color in this country and I appreciate our differences Like I was, uh, you were saying that we Africans too, we have our own biases. Yeah. Everybody have biases. There's nobody that doesn't have biases, even among the Nigerians, among the Africans. 
it's a human experience. I might be even among the Yoruba, I might come from Lagos and look at the people from Ibadan as something, you know. Even, within, something. even within families, we have that. <laughs> so, but if you're, you know, and we understand the issue of institutionalized racism, mm-hmm. where it's so difficult to do too much, and in the masses, everybody continues to fight against institutionalized racism in school in jobs, in healthcare, name it. But then, as an African, we're not just um, uh, fighting against the institutional of racism and our color as being black. We're also fighting, to, you know, against the identity. Mm-hmm. As a person of immigrant. Somebody with an accent. Like I told some somebody told me, say, Oh, you've been here for over 40 years. You, you still have the accent. I said, You're telling me I should change my identity. That is what defines me for who I am. It's like you telling me I should deny everything that makes me to be who I am today. Have you ever told somebody from Europe? that they need to change their accent, who speaks, you know, um, British English, or, uh or you know, somebody from uh, Portuguese heritage, or somebody from Australia to change their accent. So a lot of all those biases is what we have against one another. And when your biases now affecting people's way of life, and now it's time to talk about it. Because I'm not just dealing with the issue of race. I'm also being discriminated against because I'm a woman of color, because I'm a woman of different heritage, different ethnic group, or I'm a woman who is maybe Muslim because of my religion. For so many reasons. You know, so as, you know, we advise many of us who are here who have the opportunity to understand the struggle of people of color. I'm not just going to talk about only African-Americans. Americans, but other, mm-hmm. other kinds. Yeah. Other, other, other people of color. Of you color. know, our history globally of our struggle to understand what we are actually, you know, the experience of our heritage. And then how can we move on together? You know, to educate ourselves on that. But, you know, you can only build relationship with people who open hand to build relationship with you. You'll find African-Americans who are willing to, you know, open hand with you and you could, so could do the same. And you'll find people from the Caribbean who, are, who acknowledge you, see you and they accept you and you too, you accept each other, you respect one another. So, but a lot of time you cannot you cannot force relationship that is not there. Yeah. For some people, because you have another uh, organization brewing or who already make themselves popular among African American uh, community called ADOS, African Descendant of Slaves, or something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are on the social media in the, on the war tone towards many immigrants of color, especially the Africans. So we have to talk about that. What impact do that have when it comes to many of our children who are in uh, on college campuses? 
or applying for jobs or even within the community whereby you know many of us immigrants we live mostly in uh, 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 in the community where many of uh, member of the community are also people of color from the caribbean from south america from all these different places what are the challenges that we are going through as african in this community of color mm. you have many african immigrants who are non speaking african uh, you know uh, from non speaking countries who does not uh, uh, speak english and they they so scared to go to schools to advocate for their children because of the you know you know the, the school is not actually with open hand to accept them in to say you know willing to reach out to their community and say you know you could come in anytime you know we open a door to you you know what what services can we provide your community so we have a lot of all those issues thanks thanks for that reminder i think even just not just focusing on african americans but also other people of color because we are all in this together right and there's that sense of otherness that borders into our lived experiences and as long as we are away from wherever we call home we need to come together because there's safety numbers and i think the challenge for me is also to keep including them in those um, conversations because for so long i've just been focused really on um african americans african americans because that was just the the biggest challenge for me but i think even extending that conversation to other people of color i think that's the challenge is giving me today and i thank you for that reminder Thank you. So let's talk about raising kids in America, right? Which I know you have two kids. Congratulations on that. Um and um let me start by contrasting this with African Americans, you know, here, right? We know that overwhelming majority of black Americans here are probably like six or seven generations culturally remote from Africa, right? And I see the impact of you being a Nigerian immigrant to the US, your children, I don't know, I imagine that they're probably quite as even maybe quite as strong, even stronger as you are when it comes to cuz I imagine kind of person you are, you build them up in such a way that they know that what well, this is home, you know, Africa is home as well, and um, they know their history, they know who they are, they know their identity. but that probably took a lot that i don't think many people have that kind of luxury my fear is that when i come to a point where the more we stay here we might have people who might not even speak any of our languages heck we're even hearing some reports about how some languages especially in the igbo community are becoming almost extinct because you're having the speakers dying off right even the religious beliefs our practices are filled you know marital and family structures they might be so far removed away from the motherland right how are you how have you been able to maintain that identity within your kids and why was it so important for you to do that if you did well for me um even though sometimes the <laughs> i'm going to take you back to nigeria you know when we were growing up in nigeria they in school they would say don't speak vernacular Okay, don't speak your language. Yeah, Just, Venezuela, you get you get points speaking. Yeah, you get point, you speak English, you know. So we have to think about 
how that have an impact in so many of us who came to this country. Even when I came to this country, I mean, I didn't have my children until maybe 12 years later. So that's another thing that actually allowed me to actually integrate as a single person very well in this country compared to so many people that when they came to this country, immediately they might have their children within a few years, maybe within two years, or they actually brought those children from home. And they're coming from a country that promotes <laughs> a vernacular, you know, promotes English or French. You know, you even have some Africans uh, that they came from French speaking country that they will say, oh, I'm French, you know. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they identify themselves as being French instead of calling African. themselves according to which African yeah, country yeah. they, they came from. So we have to think about that because even as I have my children, many who have had their children before, they're blaming themselves and saying, why I should have been speaking the language to my children from the own go. But for my children, they understand the language, but they don't speak it. Mm. Because like you said, it, it is so much to battle with in this country. When you're raising children, all your ears, eyes, everything has to be open. But one thing that I, I did when they were in school was to bring in the African culture into the school. Mm. So during the Black History Month, every year, I used to do storytelling, um. the traditional Yoruba storytelling. And, uh, you know, I br- brought in the culture. We introduced African dance class into the school, you know, for after school program. The school allowed that. And it's because I didn't pull myself back and say, oh, I don't think, you know, they might not allow it. And, you know, I, I know I have to invest my time also into that. Like I told somebody, I wasn't a storyteller before I became a storyteller. I was buying books on the Yoruba folk still, you know, which brought back so many stories that we were here, you know, we listened to when we were growing up. You know, the turtle and the, you know, the yeah, lion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all these others. You know, so you you memorize it and I go to, into the classroom and, you know, um, present it into the classroom. So, and like I said, it's every day of what we do with our, with our, with our children. Because it's not only about the language, it's also about teaching the culture. And mm-hmm. culture and language also intermingle together. So it's about bringing that into our household. And in this country, I must have mentioned it before, raising children demands your full attention. Yep. Especially as a black person. Yes. Even with, you know, even with white people, you know, raising children demands your full attention because it's not only about... um, your children, you're living in a nice neighborhood, so they might not be able, they might not get into trouble. You know, you have a nice house and all that stuff. That's not even the whole point behind it because you have to invest time with your children. You have to invest money on your children. So it's not something easy in this country. We cannot use the same kind of way we were raised back home to raise the children in this country. Because I feel like even the society is not very well, it's not family oriented here. Mm-hmm. It's not. 
Mm-hmm. And you could teach your culture, like I always say to people, you could teach your culture. Your culture is within your household. The <laughs> next stop person, the next stop person, <laughs> the next stop person has a different, completely different culture from you. Okay, and then when they go to school, is a complete. They have to battle with so much of different value system from people from different places. Which might sometimes be against, you might be conflicting against what you're teaching them at home. What you're teaching them at home. So what do you have to do then? Okay, now, when my kids were growing up, social media wasn't that much. (laughs) Okay, now you have to deal with the global culture that is seeping through the social media Mm -hmm. with your children. So you see how demanding it is. There's a virtual I, world, there's a physical world. Uh, there's there's yes. also the metaphysical world coming out with this meta and the AI and whatnot. Yes. Oh my goodness. Can I do two jobs and be able to, you know, appropriately be in the life of these children? No. Okay. So you have to take what is much more important. Okay. Is it about building a house back home? Okay, or I go and buy a house I cannot afford whereby I have to do double shift or triple shift in order to pay for those mortgage rather than me staying in a more affordable place so that I could take care and be in the life of those these children. Oh wow. I mean so how I have a daughter now, right? And yeah. we've been trying to teach her Yoruba and we made a road that we're always going to stick your back home. Have you been able to follow it? No. Because growing up in Lagos, I grew up in Lagos for a human. Even if you're not speaking your back so much at home, the playground, the school you go to, mm-hmm. your interactions at church mm-hmm. with friends, like that concept of it t- taking a whole village to raise a child, it was mm-hmm. literal. But mm-hmm. here it's like, if you don't do all that kind of work, but what's the time? So I've, I've contained in my heart, like, even if he picks a few words, and I raised uh, a well-adjusted member of the society. Yeah. The language, yeah. Way, I mean, my parents didn't grow up speaking Korean. I found the language myself. Maybe Yoruba might not be her thing, but I've, I've stopped trusting myself out because it's not quite as easy as I thought it's, it was going to be. It's not. It's not. <laughs> because, he, uh, like I said, you know, it takes, back home, it takes a whole community to raise children, like you just said. Uh-huh. There's somebody, even in, in Lagos, you might have uh, somebody of Hebrew uh, heritage living next door to you. You might have somebody of Hausa heritage living next door to you. But the culture is quite similar, you know, in some yeah. ways, you know. Yeah. So you enforce the language and everything. But there's some family who are actually able to do that. And how are they able to do that? Because especially Africans who came from uh, French-speaking countries, their children actually do speak and understand the language because in many ways they have to be the one to translate for their yes, parents. Yes, yes. And even to their parents' English when time comes, you know? Yes, yeah. yes. So that is 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 doable among those communities. It's something that it could be done, but it's, it takes a lot of effort to be able yeah, to do Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But yeah. even I mean, now in, in Brazil, they actually have Yoruba, Yoruba. as a you know, I think it's a second language in that yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Brazil definitely has 
uh, outside of Lagos, outside of Nigeria, it has the second largest of concentration of Yoruba. Because I know, you know, with the transatlantic slave um, route, and they mm-hmm. love them. I think they even have like a, it's a religion and a culture too. Yeah, you know, they have a IFA uh, Institute or something like that. And they're actually challenging that uh, Yoruba is not a, as polished as this because they, they carry the original ones with them when they were leaving. They need to calm down, down, with, that. To calm down with that. This is where I'm going to draw the line. They're saying that Yoruba, I, I actually went to an African film festival where I met a, somebody from Brazil and he said, uh, Yoruba is not as polished as this. They, you know, because... <laughs> they took them away from us. How can they be more than us? We like that they keep, you know, the culture going on, but it's to calm down, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's to mm-hmm. calm down, it's to calm down. some questions that were sent in by some of our, um, our listeners beforehand. So this is from Jessica and Amoni. And they wanted to ask about your experience with racism. You know, um, so the first question was, have you experienced total or over and or over racism? In my mind, I'm like, who hasn't? And if you have, how has it changed over time? <laughs> I, I have. I could write a book. <laughs> Especially in New York. <laughs> I, I could write a book <laughs> of my experience with racism. You want to talk about the white or the blacks? Uh-huh. Okay, or the other people of color. I could write a book on it. Which one pains you the most? I think the black one pains me the most. You know, my everyday contact is mostly with people of color. Mm. Mm. But like I said, the institution in itself Okay, institutionalized racism is right there, whereby, you know, it could be limited access to resources that is being everybody of color do experience. But in everyday challenges of biases and aggression comes from other people of color. So initially it was something that I used to get upset about, but as time goes on, it becomes something that I just have to have a plan <laughs> answer in my head. <laughs> okay? If, 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 if Some kind of way to actually deal with it where it doesn't even penetrate to me anymore. Because I, you come in with those biases, I'll, you know, I will answer you and I'll go about with my you business. Give it, you give it to you. To yeah, yeah. You give it to, to me, like, I'll give it. I want to be more like Silva, to be able to like respond immediately and just move on. It takes no, me because it's, it's something that you've experienced many times. Like I told that uh, when I was at uh, the other podcast, I was talking to Nancy and uh, she said, what was the worst thing that ever happened yeah. to me? I said, there's so many. Uh, but one that came to my head was somebody asking me if, uh, how does it feel to live in a mud house? And I said, oh, mothers. At this time, an age. Eh? No. At this time, an age. Yeah, that was about 15 years ago. I said, mud house. Actually, mud house is, is, lux- is luxury for the royal family, <laughs> the kings and the queens and all those people. I said, we're, we're actually living in trees. You know, we live in trees. The mother will take one tree, the father will take one tree, and we hop from one tree Why to the other. And I kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kept walking 
Because I can, what would you answer to that? Am I going to get upset because of that? You can't fix that kind of ignorance. I can't fix that kind of ignorance. Mm-mm. I can't. I mean, this is what, what year was it? Was it 1980-something? In the early ni- ni- mid-90s. Okay, okay. Maybe we can say... Whereby, <laughs> whereby you could easily pick up things to read and, you know, understand. But people will just want to put you down. You know, or you're talking, oh, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, do you want me to spell it out if you can read? Okay, I will spell it out for you. So, <laughs> you want me to put it in writing? So, you will come with different things that people will say to you. And for for someone to continue to keep up, uh, keep your own uh, image and your your identity is a way for me to also connect with new immigrants who are coming in. Mm. Mm. So, because I don't want to sound differently from the new immigrants who yeah, are coming in, for sure. To say that you know we're all in this together. So, like you're, you're like a time capsule in a way. Yeah, archiving the process as it go on. Yeah, you know that that I was I would say that you know so and uh, it, it is so much that you have to go whether you know uh, going to um, uh, advocate for your children in school and somebody who can't pronounce your name. I've had a situation whereby you know I was complaining about a teacher in my son's school and the person I was complaining to is actually biracial. She cannot even pronounce my name. Cherokee. Okay, which part of this? Yeah, I heard. And then the person I was complaining about is actually a European person and I couldn't call his name either. So she said, oh, you know, um, that's how you pronounce his name. I said, I'm glad you could pronounce that name better. You know who I'm talking about. So let's talk now. (laughs) I love your style. I still love your style. If you like put myself and start going file for biases race i don't have time for that because you should give it to me i'll give it back to you so the moment i give it back to you i feel better and i keep moving yeah moving on. Yeah, yeah you keep yeah. moving on because if not you would find that you just keep you know with the same battle over and over and over again and as long as you know who you, you are on the inside you carry yourself with that pride of who you are on the inside Okay. Okay. I had just one more question. Again, if you are in the if you are in the room right now and you like to ask some questions, please use the chat function or you can unmute if you have questions. Um, so how do you balance I think we can answer this, but I'm gonna ask you. This is also from Jessica on the morning. They wanna know how do you balance hmm, the present being present in the happenings of where you live right now in New York and staying connected to the happenings in your original home. As you know, the elections are coming up in a week's time in Nigeria and with the currency change, the hyperinflation, the hardships, like how do you balance those two things? Because I imagine New York is not even a walk in the park as well. Well, you know, I don't get involved too much in Nigerian politics. Why? I, I don't because one thing that I've realized even with people who are actually talking about issue of Nigerian politics here is much more of uh, personal feelings, not too much of actually attaching the issue that we have in that country that is going on, poverty, 
lack of adequate services for children. What is our next generation of children will be in another 20, 30 years from now? People are not talking about uh, they are not talking about that. They are talking like you said, tribalism. People are not, you know, you are not actually um having conversation that has to do with the issue. You are having conversation that has to do with personality of the person. Who personalizes the help? So for me, I I don't get engage myself in those kind of mm-hmm. conversations. Because it's not productive. Whether is this person is going to be the president? What is the other one that is leaving or left or generations? You know, I mean, uh, during the time of Moritala Mohammed, you know, and all these other people, uh, Gowan, all those people, you know, the military rules and all that, all those people who ruled the, uh, the continent, I mean, the country at that time. What has changed from that time to this time? Mm. You have many of Nigerian reporters, you know, the newspaper, whatever you want to call it, you know, the media, they are not writing on that mindset to talk about the issue, everyday life difficulty, lack of safety in this country. So when we, you know, when it comes to, oh, you know, we're just going to talk about uh, the person, I don't even know who are contesting because it's not part of what I'm interested in. But people are not really digging into the issue. issues. Okay, politics yeah. aside, how about just the happenings, like the the hardships and maybe some other aspects of the country? How do you say balance between those two things? Like, like what? Just uh, maybe day-to-day living. So right now, um, the new Naira note is, is cast in circulation and you're seeing people like marking up the prices to pay Naira for Naira. Um, we have issues with um, um, inflation, hyperinflation, which has been sustained from COVID. That has also caused a lot of, you know, household goods to skyrocket. We have issues with, you know, petrol prices going up. We have issues with, you know, um, kidnappings. And, you know, just... And then yeah, yeah, I keep up. I keep up with a lot of all those issues. You know, I read about them. I keep up with a lot of all those issues. The people I could discuss it with. <laughs> I am able to discuss it with, you know, so I, I keep up with all those things, you know, of uh, social inequality of the educational system in Nigeria in itself. Uh, you know, the younger generation who are in university, the lack of opportunity for them. Many doctors who are leaving Nigeria in number in droves, okay, coming abroad, going to places like Saudi Arabia to you know uh, to uh, to pa- to practice over there instead of staying in that country mm. so is a lot of all those issues that we need to talk about you have many i mean if you call, in new york here when you look at how many the population of uh, people of color in medicine a lot of them are nigerians yeah a lot of them are in medicine a lot of them are nigerians you have Nigerians in every aspect of anywhere you want to tap into. So is our, our children who were born here or brought here at a very young age who are contributing immensely in this country. Because Nigeria, it, it, the, that country is not seeing the talent that is it, that they're producing. And instead of making the country to be able to accommodate 
the population and serve the people and think about the welfare of people. People are only thinking about their pocket. Yeah. We've come from a country where materialistic aspect of life is much more important. Who, who of the name of who is who? Okay, when you uh, come from a nation where material material things is much more important than individual. There's a Yoruba saying in the olden days people don't use that anymore. They say ashonla kole nyonla. Mm, mm. Big cross is not a big person. Doesn't make yeah. a big Just because you wear, you know, quality attire does not mean that you are rich. Quality person, yeah. <laughs> you are of somebody that warrants respect. Substance, yeah. But now, even if the person is is stealing or he stole the money or he found the money in any way that we could think about, you know, they embrace, they empower the person without questioning the resources, without even questioning the humanity of that person. Okay, as a, as an individual, what have you done to, you know, uh, the society? What good have you done for the society? One thing I see in America here, no matter how much money you have, one thing, even with their government, they always push for people to give back. Mm, you claim yeah. it in your taxes. It's good. I was about to say, it's for tax purposes, they make they make uh-huh. the people very. <laughs> yeah, you understand me. So you you put those money there to help other people. Mm-hmm. It's okay. <laughs> to, to actually encourage it, but in a society, you know where we came from, it's completely different. People have the money as a source to oppress other people. To look at how many, before they wake up in the morning, how many 30 people are waiting for them so that they could give few narratives to them, you know, every day. It makes them feel good and important but about themselves. Those are the people we need to be, you know, bringing into the open forum and talk about the, the, all these problems, you know, and actually empower and embrace those actually who are giving back, who are making sure the life of an individual, okay, is 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 better. So that's what it is. In, in, in I mean, I, I keep referring because you know I would say practically all my adult life is spent in America. You know, when you look at this society, you could go to Harvard, you could go to Yale, you could go to Oxford. Okay, fine, people do that every day. But what contribution are you making? Yeah. How are you using your expertise to change people's life? Oh. If you have a PhD, if you're a professor, how many papers have you written to impact other people's life? That's how they push the society to connect with the generation. They're already thinking about what is going to happen 50 years from now. Is that thinking available in our society? And that's what why we have so many university graduates who can't find jobs. With this lifespan in Nigeria is so short. People are dying at a very young age. You are in your 50s, you know, 60 years old. That's how life begins in another another part of the world. You know, you're losing people for ordinary common ailment that could be easily cured. So we talk then you you know you're talking about some government who are all you know all these corrupt politicians who are coming in the only thing they think about is how they're going to build houses in all over the world all abroad then you have some of our people who are buying houses on Central Ave, Central Park around mm-hmm. here in New York City and they don't even live there they just use the money to buy property yep. 
and also the same thing in England. So what is it that, you know, we as a society, we're, you know, we're doing? So that's why I don't really involve myself in so much of conversation regarding. <laughs> But you're still having those conversations and doing stuff. You're more of the doing than just having empty conversations around it. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I said it was my last question, but this is my last question, I promise. For those of us that are here, those of us that are planning to come here, or maybe even living the motherland and wherever we might find ourselves outside of Africa or, you know, other colors, uh, other nations of color, look at me being inclusive. Um, <laughs> how do you, how have you been able to do that emotional support um, for yourself? And what are some ways to thrive when you're away from, you know, your original home? And that's my first question. The second one will be talking about your pastor, pastor forum and where people can find you and your work. Okay. So that, you know, when you are abroad, I always preach to people, you know, diversify your circle. Find out what you can, you know, uh, get into, you know, there's so many of us who still believe, oh, you have to go to university and everything. Not everybody has to go to university. You know, there's some of us who could go and learn trade. You know, who could develop your own business. You know, you don't have a, to have a college degree in order to make ends meet. You know, so just try to live a decent life and connect with people, connect with other people, not only your own people alone, but connect with other people from different places because you will always find help. You always find humanity in other people that mm-hmm. they are not from your background. They are not from your heritage. And that's how you expose yourself also to so many opportunities that you might not know. <laughs> you know, so that that's what I would say. So uh, for my Pansa Pansa, uh, people could actually find me. My website is pansapansa.org. <laughs> how do I come up with the name of Pansa Pansa? <laughs> Actually, the name I, I, I originally chose for this, um, uh, my project was Ire Kerido. Uh, Johnny Back and Forth. Wait, Pansa Pansa, it's not like, uh, almost like when you're reading a poem or telling a story, the pauses in between. Is mm-hmm. that it? Like when you're no. telling a story or saying a poem, like the The pause is in between. If you mean Pansa Pansa? Pansa Pansa, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pansa Pansa is actually, you know, is a, is a word that indicates that I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. Ah. Oh, like I'm going to have a, 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 an uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation with you. Some people will say, oh, it's not called Pansa Pansa, Pansa it's Pansa Pansa. I say, oh. well... Uh-huh. Everybody have their own pronunciation. That's why, you know, when people from Ondo say something, they might say it with different tonation. When people from Oyo say something, it might be different. And then the, uh, people in Lagos may say something that it might be different yeah, at the same the time. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the accent is... But, uh-huh. So, but I changed it. I was in the gym one time and I was listening to Fela. I was listening to Pansa Pansa. I said, you know what? That This name fits. I'll call it Pansa Pansa. You know, because it's an uncomfortable talk. It's an uncomfortable conversation. So I blog about so many issues of African immigrants abroad, 
I review books written by some of our children, which I hope some of us may pick up sometimes to read about uh, immigrant experience as well as our children's experience in this country. One of the last one that I did is written by a young Nigerian. Um, I forgot Achebe. Uh, no, 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 no. Achebe, yeah, I did that. He actually, um, it's called, I think I'm lying, but I'm telling the truth. Oh, Basi oh, oh. Basi mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. She, you know, I read the book and I was so moved by the book because uh, she focused on her experience growing up with her, her parents and the mental health challenges that she faced growing up with her parents. So I read books like that. I, you know, uh, there's so many other things that I do on the podcast uh, as well interviewing African immigrant, you know, first generation and second generation. <laughs> and uh, the reason why I actually came up with this um, open forum is um, the idea that many of our children who were born in this country about yeah. the challenges that they face and the lack of connection between parents and the children in this country. Because as an African, you could only raise your children with your immigrant experience, with your culture yeah. and your heritage. And you're also what, learning, you're learning through it. So it's not, you it's are learning too. Or... Yeah. So what about the raising them as a child of color in this country? So it is a lot of challenges for so many immigrants. So that's why I came up with, um, yeah. you know, uh, the forum. Initially, it was done within the community where I usually gather many of our children together from different backgrounds, you know, from different countries. And they come, they talk about their experiences in, in the presence of parents. And those parents who were there, they really learn a lot. I've had a situation of a, a young lady talking about her experience growing up in a home and uh, many of the challenges that she faced growing up within that home and the mother was part of the audience both the mom and the daughter were both crying you know have to address the issue to find out how can we find them help that is needed you know maybe you know refer them for therapy and all that stuff Mm -hmm. so it is you know that's what brought all this conversation up you know for me to go into uh, continue to do it and during the COVID when COVID happened that I couldn't, you know, do it within the community. The idea of podcast came into play. And I said, okay, let me just see what I can do with that. <laughs> I was actually talking to one of uh, the young men I'm going to introduce to you later. Oh, yeah. On. Dr. Kelly? Ah, okay. Uh-huh. And he... <laughs> it's so funny how I've met him, you know. So uh, it, it is so funny. I, I mean, I love podcasts. I listen to so many podcasts. So I was listening to podcasts and his uh, podcast came into suggestions. So I listened to it and I listened to all his episodes. Didn't know that a Nigerian parent is listening to his podcast. So uh, there was a time he was having a conversation about African parents and their, you know, their relationship with their children. And he got you know, uh, his fellows together and they were talking about different issues that they experiencing as a young generation first and second generation so I listened to it and there's certain things that I didn't agree from what they were saying so I sent him email 
And I said, yeah, let's have a talk about this, you know, of what you guys are talking about. I said, yeah, I would love to have parents to have their own conversation and see what we can exchange with each other. So it was from there that I started the podcast. So people could follow me, you know, listen to podcasts. Let me know what you think about it. Share it with others. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because it's a work of passion for me. I have no sponsor. It's something that I personally do by myself, you know. So it's one thing that I said, you know, with my, you know, uh, resources or whatever, I could put into this uh, podcast as okay. well as the blog as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one topic of that would be some people that might be here and I think you want to listen to this podcast on I've had conversations with some of my friends who moved to other countries like UK, Canada, US, and who are parents, and they're quite worried just about if I want to take their kids who maybe started growing up in Nigeria at a tender age, and they're in this new country, and the children keep asking questions like, oh, for example, if Nigeria is that bad, how come you know our family members are still there? And there's also that guilt of taking your child away from a... Because whenever you make that move, usually it's for your children. You think about their future. You want to make that sacrifice for them. Perhaps they're still too young to understand the scope and the breadth of that sacrifice. For moms and, and dads are like um, in that category, who are kind of worried about how do I make this a worthy investment? I hope I haven't made a mistake, you know, taking my child away from Nigeria or whatever African country or other, you know, countries of color to this, you know, place that has better economic prospects. What kind of encouraging ones do you have for them? Because it seems like you've been able to do it quite successfully. Well, I'm still trying, you know, because even though, you know, you still, someone will continue to try on that. To me, anywhere you are, your children has to be with you. Hmm. Anywhere you are, your children has to be with you. Because I've seen some of our people whereby they feel like, oh, okay, I need to, just like we've been saying, my children have to know where they come from. They have to understand the culture and everything. Then you go and put them in um, in Nigeria or any other countries you come from, thinking that, oh, they're learning culture and everything. To me, it's not a good advice. Mm. Because you're about to have a saying, you cannot your see. Eyes, your eyes cannot, yeah, you cannot see with other Yes, you cannot see through other people's lenses. Lenses, yeah. It has to be through yours. So nobody will be able to care for your child the same way you are going to care for your child. And I've seen situation of many of, uh, actually, you know, you, you could Google it in, um, I don't know whether you, you, I wrote about it on my blog too, and I interviewed one woman who is a Nigerian. This is another completely is different twin, The twin, Taiwo? The twins, yeah, yes. Taiwo. Yes, who was, yeah, in the UK, uh-huh. yeah. In the UK, where, you know, the uh, uh, many Africans, I, I won't even say Africans, Nigerians and the Ghanaians. That they they put their children in uh, with white family to be raised in rural area while they're busy working. I read it. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. that, yeah. It's such a sad, you know. Fa- they call it farm, farming, farm out. You know. So to me, anywhere you are, even though you may be struggling in the country where you are, have your children with you. Let them know. Let them see that you are all struggling together. Because when they go grow up, when they get older, 
and they, you try to build that relationship with them, it may be difficult. Because I've seen so many families that they took their children back home and those children came back and they never talked to the parents again. Because the they trauma. felt, yeah. uh-huh, the trauma, they felt that the parents abandoned them. That if you're struggling, let us all struggle together. I understand, okay, that my parents are struggling because we're not the only ones struggling. When you look at the African-American community or any other immigrant, even, you know, people, other people from Europe who just came to this country, they struggle with their, fam- with their family, with their children. And, you know, you, you, they have to witness what you, it brings, it builds character in them to understand their parents went through all these things and they're able to make ends meet and provide the best they could do for them. But when you put them back in that country, in any way you want to uh, have your children being taken care of by another person, when they come back, it may be detrimental to the relationship that you, you want to have with them because there's so many who feel abandoned. Hmm. I think you're right. Wherever you're, you are, your kids to be. and Yeah. They should, that, they should. That's just the bottom line. Everything else will will sort itself out. It will sort itself. Even if you if you live in if you stay in a room, let them stay in a room with you. Mm-hmm. Because they see an example of somebody struggling and making sense me. Let them stay in that room with you. And that's why the idea that, oh, you know, I need to do extra thing back home. Let me do two jobs so that I could acquire all this, you know, property in Nigeria, you know. And, uh, you know, so that when I get older, I have a place to stay. (laughs) Who knows where you're going to end up when you get older? Does the country you are pouring your resources on have the adequate health care that will take care of you when you get older? Okay, so you have to think about all those things. Thank you, thank you. Because I, I've, one last thing, I, I years ago I came across a Nigerian young lady who was telling me about her story, and I saw I was so proud. I said, "Wow, you know, look at you! You're so beautiful in Nigerian." You know, she said she's doing her masters and she wants to go into a PhD. I said, "Oh my God, your parents must be proud of you." Ah, she said, "My mother died years ago." I said, "Wow, I'm so sorry to hear that." And I said, "What about your dad?" She said, "Oh, he too died. You know, uh, you know, a couple of years after my mother died." He said, "But I didn't see my parents enjoy their, you know, their." what they suffer for, what they work for. I didn't see that, them enjoying it. She said, because my father, anytime he has a vacation in this country, he goes to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. He built a big mansion in their village. And this, the, the, the parents only have two children. And he built a mansion. So after the father... You know, like I said, every year, like she told me, he goes to Nigeria. So he died here. But according to his will, they have to go and bury him back home. So they have to ship his body back to Nigeria to bury him. And that's not the house that he built. The two children that he has, none of them are going home. 
that is that. You know, so who eventually owned the house? So we have to think about that. We have to think about it. Wow, you've definitely left such a lot of thoughts upon now. I could just keep talking on and on um, with you because you have just this deep well of, of knowledge. And I know this is not going to be your first time last time on the podcast. We have to keep these conversations going in different yes. aspects of it and finding ways to keep harmonizing our communities and other communities as well. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for just the ease in talking to you, for your knowledge, for your wisdom, for not holding back. I'm I'm very thankful. I think for me, what I'm living with, I'm living with so many things, but definitely that um, consideration for creating room and space for other colors, of other communities, and including them in the narrative, and keep thinking of ways of, of making my my neighbor a better place, making the world, making myself a better a person, because that also reflects on how I serve my community, right? And not just talking, 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 but actually doing. In everything I do, how am I serving others? Like, how can I be of service? That's gonna, that's what I'm gonna leave from our conversation today. And I wanna thank you so much, Ma, for your time and everything and just who you are and your person, everything you do. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much, too, because I'm learning from you. <laughs> we all learn from each other, you know, so we all, one has us to watch the other. We are learning from each other, you know, so we have to continue. And, uh, you know, I, next time, maybe, you know, we could have this conversation where other people could also be involved. I agree. I agree. So, I agree. Oh, we have some comments coming from the um, chat. So, um, OS, they wants to say thank you so much, Ma. Um, as an immigrant mom, this was a great session. We'll keep paying attention. Thank you, Lamde, for that for that comment. Yeah. All right, everyone. This has been um, a production from the Most People Podcast. For sure, you like topics like this. Let us know how best we can keep serving you. And um, this um, society is on Instagram. I'm going to tag all of our handle on the episode for this, as well as on the Facebook page. But her website is pastapasta.org. Right, ma. Yeah. And. Just even if you Google Panther Panther platform or, or podcast, it shows on there. All right, everyone, stay safe and love you guys. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morrisable Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomo at mostable.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Moral Civil Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening. Mm-hmm.